Tom Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm coming live from News Corp here in Sydney. Hi, John. Hi, Troy. How are you going? This is it, News Corp. This is like being in, you know, like the center, epicenter of the global media. I love it here. I love coming here. Thanks for having us. I do love coming here, Tom, because it it is, jokes aside, this is one of the world's great media businesses. And I think just being in these sort of places makes you feel big and global and think differently. I'm a great believer for principles listening, for agents as well. If you want to change your thinking, go somewhere different. Yeah. So often, you know, I'll go three days away on a, what I call a think week or a think, think tank idea, and I'll just sit there in a new environment where I might travel to a place. And I think you do think differently when you travel or you're out of your comfort zone, away from home, away from the office. So it's even it's great a, to it, be it, here. It, it's a, Matt Church, John, who uh, we both know, um, I listened to him speak a year ago, and he said, try and pick books to read that you normally wouldn't read because yeah. it actually forces you to think differently than Great. what you, you're used to reading. Great. I've, it reminds me of Simon Reynolds, who's a good friend of ours, of all of ours. And uh, Simon used to go once a week to Double Bay News Agency and he used to force himself to buy 10 magazines on topics that he knew nothing about. Mm. Hot rods, tattoos, fishing, yeah. anything, because he said it gave him this education into how other people think. Yeah. So then when he's at a cocktail function or a business pitch and someone's a fisherman, he knows a little bit about it. Yeah. So, he, I mean, these are, these are great, great ideas. But, but it's interesting, I am grumpy today because, Troy, I've been on a detox now for 10 days. Now, as most listeners would know, I don't drink, so I'm not detoxing from alcohol, but I'm a sugar addict. I just love sweets, you know, and unfortunately one of my best friends owns a fantastic gelato store, so that's a, a terrible thing to have. I think I might, <laughs> might need to defriend Chicho well, somehow. Yeah. Well, Troy, did you, the, I rarely uh, give John McGrath a compliment. He walked in, I said, John, you're looking good. Mm, thank you. Um, I think, so what have you done? You've eliminated sugar. It's all about, you know, referral, isn't it? I had a breakfast with Grant, a friend of ours, recently, and he said, I, I ran into this girl the other day, she looked like she'd taken 10 years off her life and 10 inches or 10 centimetres off her, off her waist and she was glowing. I said, what have you done? She said, well, I've started this detox. There's a naturopathic detox out of a box. Yeah. I'll give you the details. Maybe Judith can put it on your yeah. website. And basically a naturopath has come up with this detox that you take tablets every day. They cleanse your system of all the bad stuff. You've got to give up uh, coffee yeah. or caffeine, sugar, yeah. basically carbohydrates, so bread, pasta, rice. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, and there is a lot of other than that, some people say, God, that'd be terrible. It's actually not. You can have fish, you can have chicken, you can have you know, lean meat, you can have salad, veggies, you can have soups. You can have almost anything except bread, pasta, rice, and bad foods and sugar. So well, for me, the hardest thing, well, I guess it wasn't that hard, but I, I used to have a cup of coffees a day, so I've given up the coffee. Um, I love the odd chocolate bar, uh, not actually the odd, the, the regular chocolate bar <laughs> and the regular gelato, I love those. So for me, giving up the sugar, but I've got to say 10 days later and with very little inconvenience, I feel good. I, I've dropped three kilograms, which is not enough, but it's a start, and I feel good. So I, I think for everyone, one of the things you know about Eric, and I know the last few weeks we've played a bit of Eric, but again, it gives you that chance to step outside and just remind yourself how important the things outside of work are, starting yeah. with your own health. Yeah. I always say to people, you know, what's the most important thing? They say family. I say, no, health. Because yeah. if you don't have your health, you haven't got a family. Yeah. You know, if your health goes and you go, you can't look after them. So number one's health. Number two, family relationships. Then number three, business or career or whatever else you want to have out there, or community and spirituality. It's, it's up to you. But 
So that was interesting. So I'm a bit grumpy because as we sit here, I know, uh, I don't know what time you guys are listening to this, but as we sit here, it's dinner time. <laughs> and I've had uh, six pieces of sashimi today and that's it. So wow. I'm a bit, bit grumpy. So, so John, um, just on the issue, the, most of um, the people that I know in real estate drink coffee. Yeah. I want to ask you, did you have any withdrawal effects from not drinking coffee? None, but I've done it quite regularly. I've withdrawn for three, six months before without any problem. Um, my, my view on coffee is well-made coffee, so I'm talking about barista coffee as opposed to instant. You can, my research says you can have two a day. You can have up to about 120, 150, I think it's milligrams of yeah. caffeine a day. Your body can deal with that. Yeah. Once it gets beyond that, your liver starts screaming and shouting and saying it's too much. It's probably a bit like alcohol that yeah. you know, I don't drink, but I think you can probably have one or two glasses of wine with a meal a few nights a week without any negative impact. But I think if you're having three or four a night on a regular basis, your liver starts you know, pleading for help. So uh, I think in little things, but it, even I feel a lot better and, and I appreciate you noticing and I do and I have lost a bit of weight, but um, little things, little adjustments, and you know, this is a business seminar or a business tape, Little adjustments in your work. So the equivalent way is I'd love everyone to look at their health first and yeah. foremost. B is a few extra calls a day. You know, just five. And I think Tom, Tom uh, Ferry up at, at ARIC, one of the things I remember him saying, Tommy, was uh, five calls, five growth calls a day yeah. change your life. Just ring five people off your database. Don't worry who it is. Don't worry what you say. Just connect with five people a day that you wouldn't have connected without this strategy. And that'll change your life. That's 25 a week, 30 yeah. a week. And if you're speaking to 25 people from your centre of influence, different people per week throughout the year, that's a hell of a lot over a year, and something's going to pop up in that phone call. But a lot of people, as you and I know, Tom, they, they're perfectionists, they're, they're, they're procrastinators, oh, I don't know who to ring and what to say. Just ring five people a day from your database, centre of influence, network, past clients, social groups, mm. and just chat. Just, you know, what are you up to? What have you been doing? How's business? Tell me, how's the insurance industry? What are you noticing? Yeah, so I'm not saying chat, talk about, you know, fairy floss. I'm saying just talk about interesting things, but, you know, around the world of business because we're in the world of business. That's what I would be doing. John, that is absolutely gold. And anyone that thinks that we haven't started the real estate podcast yet, I can tell you everything we've, John has said in the last five minutes is real estate because... I, I think we've seen, we saw it from Tom Ferry with his energy levels, we see it from the top agents that got up and spoke. They seem to actually look fit. Gone is the real estate agent yeah. that's got the loose shirt with yeah. 10 or 15 kilos hanging over his bill. There is a new different breed of real estate agent that has got wealth as their fi- highest form of um, uh, the health as the highest form of wealth and yeah. that they seem to understand the importance of energy in their business career. Yeah, uh, 100%. So, John... And, and before we go into Q&A, congratulations to the Tigers. Okay. You know what I said to myself? <laughs> See, I would have got away with that, Troy. I'm an honourable man. The John, Tigers smacked the Rabbitohs and to, they deserve to and, uh, and I wanted to congratulate you. Thank you, John. Well, let me say, what a noble man to bring it up because... It, <laughs> If he wasn't going to bring it up, it was on my to-do list at the end. What a, what, a, what a noble man. What a leader. What an outstanding human being. But for the record, John, on Friday night, I would have received a total of between SMS messages and Facebook messages 
please remind John McGrath <laughs> what the score is from our listeners. Thanks, listeners. So you've heard it, you've got it, he's well, come clean. Don't even tell me the score because I turned it off with 20 minutes to go because I was in so much pain. So I don't even want to know what the end result was. All right. Johnny, uh, let's go to the favourite segment, Q&A. I love this question. I'm currently working in a sales assistant role and I have so for just over 12 months. My role is admin and lead generation and occasional selling. I've also attended listing presentations but have little involvement. I'm there just to watch and learn. I would love to hear your opinion on when is a good time to branch out of the assisting role. I'm very eager to I think go... I'm, is that existing or assisting both? That's yep. it. Assisting I'm, role. I'm, I'm very eager to get into sales. I believe I'm ready but have little listing experience. I found the resources and know the content. It's just growing confidence around delivering and securing listings. What are your thoughts? John? Good question. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this question is a deviation of the most common question I have that comes through now in one form or another is this question. I'm a PA and I want to go out on my own. I'm scared. Should I do it? How long should I stay? What do you think? Okay, well, a couple of things. First thing I think is this needs to be a conversation with the person that you are assisting because at the moment they're your employer and I think to do anything with integrity and transparency, you should have the conversation. And nearly every agent that I know that has an assistant or two in their team is very open to a conversation that says, Tom, look, one day I'd love to do what you're doing. I'm not in a rush, but I'd like to plan towards the next couple of years. Mm. And, and generally, the good agents, the smart agents, say, OK, we can do that. We can plan towards that as long as we, we do it in a, in a way that's controllable and that you can replace yourself and so on and so forth. So... I think you've got to have this discussion with your employer or the agent that you're working for. There's no magical number. Um, some people get this industry after six months. Some people after five years probably aren't ready to go out on their own. Yeah. I think you know, you've got to have a, an honest look at where you are. Where are you in connecting skills? Because the other thing is it's very easy, I think, with respect to look like a very proficient 2IC assistant. And yet when the pressure's on you when, you, when you jump out of the nest and you're on your own and you can't rely on your agent and so forth, you've got to be in the lounge room battling the other agents. Yeah. A lot of people go to water. And I have seen a lot of assistants jump out of the nest a bit early and, and fail to get any momentum. And they've ended up out of the industry and never come back yeah. because they get scarred. And, and I wouldn't want this for, for the person that wrote this question or anyone out there. So... If you're going to make a mistake, probably err on the side of staying in a bit too long because the, the experience you can get from being a fly on the wall in the, in the listing mm. or the lounge room of a great agent is invaluable. Mm. So if you've got, and once, you, once you're out on your own, I'm not saying you never get that again and there are events and training and so forth, but you don't get that same level of exposure. Now that is, by the way, assuming that your agent is allowing you to watch what they do, learn from what they do, which is, as a good agent, you should be doing that. Whether or not your CSM or your assistant's going you, in. John, you would have seen um, at McGrath's over the years some PAs become remarkable sales champions. Ivan uh, Bresick used to be Shannon Whitney's assistant. Ivan's now one of the top agents in the country. Alex Phillips used to, who's Panzer yep. Don, Donnelly Phillips yep. type company. Um, one of the top agents in the country, he used to be Pauline Goodyear's assistant. Ben Collier. Uh, ben Collier used to be James Dax's assistant. Bethwin Richards. Bethwin, exactly right. Used to, well, she was my assistant. Um, and Troy, you've worked for Bethwin. It is an incredible breeding ground or training ground yeah. for um, people, well, I was going to say young people, but it doesn't have to be young, any age, people that want to get into the world of sales. And, 
and you know, Ben worked for James, Alex worked for Pauline, Ivan worked for Shannon. If you get yourself in the right team, it can be a way to changing your life forever. So I think it's an, an admirable and incredible spot to be in. Um, so I think don't, don't, don't jump out of it too early. Um, try and get guidance. Have the, have the upfront, early, transparent conversation with your agent, with yeah. your boss. Um, so then it's all above board and, and no one's feeling hard done by. Ask them to guide you as to when they think you might be ready. Um, if you're not getting enough exposure, because I know there are some assistants that actually never get to go to listings. Mm. And I think if you're an agent out there listening, I'd love you to consider, if that's you, if that's a description of you, consider bringing your team or at least one of your team or sharing it around if you've got more than one to some of your listings. Because one of the greatest things you can do is not just pay them a wage, teach them what you do. Mm. Even if they're not gonna become agents, showing them what you say, why you say it in a listing appointment or in a sale negotiation or at an auction is gold. And it'll help them do a better job feeling more connected to the sale. So I think, you know, do that. Um, look, if I had to pick a, a gen, generic kind of number, which I don't want people to be too specific on, but I think that if you're with an agent, a good agent for a couple of years, yeah. and you're ambitious and smart and pick the stuff up, that's probably a reasonable time if you're keen to get out and going. I have known people that have stayed there for four, five, six years. Ben Colley was there for like, in essence, 15 years, yeah. as James's 2IC. And sure, as, as he got further into his career over the last few years, he was becoming more of an agent himself, but he was there for at least a decade, very much as a 2IC assistant to James. And this year he'll write over $4 million, and he's only been out on his own technically for two years. John, I think uh, what you're suggesting is that um, if someone's prepared to spend three years at a university to do a degree that's going to give them a good living in some role for the next 30 years on their life, it might be safer to go an extra six months a year, yeah. get yourself right, get yourself at state of origin level, be the best you can be, so when you're out there listing against the best in the best, you're, you know that you're playing big. Yeah, yeah, and you're right, an extra semester there. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes people Tom, say to me, oh, I'm not getting paid a lot, I'm getting $50,000 and I'm working six days a week. I said, you know, here's the deal. What you're getting paid now, to be honest, is somewhat irrelevant as long as you can pay your costs mm. because you look at Ben Collier, Alex Phillips. Alex Phillips will probably do two and a half, three million. Ben Collier will do four, four and a half million. Ivan, Ivan Bresic, probably three or four million dollars type of thing. So these, these people set themselves up for future success. Bethwin Richards, again, probably two, three million dollars. I think, I think Marcus Ciminello was James Tostevin's um, I think he was too. Uh, PA. So, and what an, what an amazing story is. These two guys yeah. here um, um, are extraordinary. So, so extra Well, James Tostevin said, come and be my assistant for free for two years. That's a job. If yeah. you're a young assistant, you'd borrow the money to live and you'd say, I want to be Tostevin's assistant because I want to hear what he says. I want to see what he eats at lunch. I want to be there when he's closing a deal. I mean, that stuff is... But all, all you're saying, John, is pretty much what Anthony Robbins has always been a big believer. Find someone that's getting incredible results and study them yeah. inside out. Do a PhD on this person. And that's all you're saying is take advantage of as long an opportunity to learn the craft. Yeah, Good yeah. stuff. Let's go to question number two. This, um, I've gone into real estate in my hometown. I have a passion for the area, but fear setting up in my hometown will restrict me from experiencing living elsewhere. I'm only 21 and I've always lived here. I'm a, an hour away from Melbourne and often think that that's where I should be doing real estate. 
We have offices in Melbourne, so making the move I feel could be quite easy. I'm at a crossroad and feel now's the time to decide where I should establish my career as I'm now growing my role as an assistant. I love the company I work for and the team I work with. I'm worried to take the plunge into a new market as it would be unfamiliar, leaving behind my current office that I love to risk to move to Melbourne, where I could potentially not be as happy. I think they've almost answered their own question here. I mean, yeah. it seems to me the energy around this question is I want to move to Melbourne. Yeah. I want to play in a bigger market. I want to swim in a bigger pond and I want to be successful. It, look, real estate, Tom, is a very geographic business. I mean, if I'm an architect, I can kind of go from New York to Paris and London. If I'm great at design and I get to understand the planning code, I can do what I do anyway. Real estate requires you to build relationships, connections and product knowledge around a particular area which can take time. So I think the author of this question is very smart in recognising that it's not sort of one something you want to do here and there for a year here and a year there. You want to have a good thought about where do you want to be for the next five years, maybe ten, and try and set up there or as close to there as possible. Um, look, first you're not thing... A big joint. You're not a, you, you, you believe that decision that you pick on location is a critical one in the early days, is it? You, you believe where you, you go, you don't want to be moving... Look, I don't, I don't think it's critical in terms of you can be successful anywhere. You can be successful in Geelong, in Turak, in, Sid, in, in, in Paddington, Sydney, in, in Campbelltown. You can be, in, in fact, there are people in all those areas that you and I and Troy know that are very successful. So I don't think it matters where you are. I think what matters is you're prepared to stick it out and build a reputation in a community over time. I don't know many agents, and the ones we've just mentioned before answering the other question, they've all focused on an area for a long period of time, including James Tostevin, and become incredibly successful. What I don't think you want to do is work for a year in Geelong and then a year in Armidale and a year in Sydney. Mm. You want to kind of say, okay, where do I think I want to be for the next five years and go and focus? So I like their thinking here. This person is showing foresight. I'm thinking about the future. Firstly, it comes down to lifestyle. I mean, family is important, the most important thing in your lifestyles. There are some people they say, well, you know, I really want to earn a lot of money, but I like a country lifestyle. Well, there are lots of places in country. Mm. If you get 30 40% market share, you're going to be very, very wealthy, mm. and you're going to have an amazing lifestyle that you love. So I think the first answer is, you know, where, where do they want to live and potentially raise a family? I'm not sure if, if this person has a family yet, but that's important. John, how important <coughs> is it that the area that you pick you feel like you get on with the profile of the people that live in that area? I think it's important you connect with the area, and that's generally the people in the area, but can also be the type of property and the type of uh, energy. I mean, I'm kind of an urban person. I would find it hard to work in a quieter or semi-rural. I love the country. I love to have a weekender in the country, but for me, I like the buzz of the inner city. So if someone said, you know, do you want to go and work out here in a rural rural environment, that wouldn't work for me so much. So I, I think you've got to connect. I started working in Paddington many years ago when Paddington was like sort of Footscray or it was Newtown. It was kind of grungy but on the up, young people, kind of funky people, creative. And I, I, I thought, well, this is an area I would love to live in. And I went there because I aspired to live there and I saw lots of young couples and, and people kind of like myself. I was probably a bit younger than the average resident, but youngish people. I was 20 and, and they were probably 30. Mm. And I, I connected with them. Whereas back then, if I'd have tried to work in Bellevue Hill, where the average seller and buyer was probably in their 40s, 50s or 60s, and I was 20, I wouldn't have had that connection. I would have probably felt like their son or grandson. So I went to an area where I thought, a couple of things. One is, 
Paddington terraces are 12 feet wide, so there was a hell of a lot of them. I thought that was good. Two is the people in Paddington that owned them liked turning them over quite quickly. So not only was it an incredibly densely populated area, it was also an area of high turnover. They weren't staying there for 20 years, they were staying there for three years. No, doing it up, flicking it, having a family, moving out, moving to another one. So I liked those two things, and it was an area that I wanted to live in. So it felt to me like a really good yeah. um, choice. So I think the first thing for this person is, where, do you, where, do you, where are you now? Where do you love? Where, where would you like to live? If the answer is, well, I'm actually in the country, but I'd love to live in Melbourne, that excites me. Yeah. Go to Melbourne. Yeah. Go to urban Melbourne and find a funky area. But find an area which will embrace a young person starting out. Well, so I don't even know. Yeah, she's 21. She's 21. So a young person starting out because Turak's going to be tough, right? You're up against the Tostevins of the world. Most of your vendors are high net worth, 60-year-old people that kind of expect a different profile agent to a 21-year-old starting out. So, you know, I would go for one of those funky inner, inner Melbourne kind of areas. St Kilda. St Kilda would be Partners, fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah, all yeah. of that. Exactly right. So I'd do that. Um, and just set up, but, but you know, say that you want to be there for five years. I, I love the fact, you know, I don't know who this person is, but I would hire this person because they're thinking intelligently about their career. They're articulate in their question. They're thinking long-term. They've got a sense of energy. I, I like that sense of energy in there. It's funny when you read something, you can mm. tell if someone's got life and energy. Mm. And so it's really interesting. So... Um, well, we won't, we won't, I mean, we've got her name there, but we'll keep her anonymous. But uh, John thinks that you're a very smart person. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. All righty, uh, John. That's the end of today. Yes. God, that went fast. Yeah. Um, that went fast. I can go and have some dinner now. It's very good. It's it's some some sashimi. <laughs> sashimi. Oh, my God. John, what's, what's for dinner, out of curiosity? Is it uh, planned? Grilled, grilled chicken yeah. and salad. Okay. This very healthy, is, very tasty, yeah. organic. Please, if you're a listener and you're not into the organic thing, start buying and eating organic if you can, because everything else is full of pesticides. Well, not full, that's an exaggeration. Has pesticides of some description, traces or more than traces. And health, we've spoken about at the beginning, health is crucial. You must be getting rid of the toxins that people put over all the veggies and the meats that are out there. Well, John, you're going to, um, with this uh, new regime you've got, you're going to, I'll shout you lunch at my Paleo Cafe <laughs> Camperdown. It's Done. called Cafe Connections. It's um, organic, but paleo food. Sounds uh, good. processed and um, it's my shout. All meals are $13.50. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a date. It's a date. All righty. Thanks a lot. Guys. See you guys. Bye-bye.